Smile, girl. Does that make you feel a little better?
prayer, please. Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity you've given us to come and worship this morning. Thank you for what the choir has communicated and led us in this time of opening worship. God, today we want to set this day completely aside for you. We want this to be a time where all the world's cares and concerns and, Father, our own personal cares and concerns are off to the side. Father, you are front and center. That the words that we sing, the scriptures that we embrace, that, Father, all of these are for your honor and glory. And, Father, for our encouragement, for our inspiration, challenge us to be a people set apart for you. So this morning, Father, help us to experience you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of the worship service at First Baptist Church, Sun City West. We thank you for being here. If this is the very first time that you've been here, you've never filled out a guest card, we'd love for you to take the opportunity to take that card from the pew in front of you, fill it out, and as you leave today, just drop it in one of the offering boxes as you leave. We would certainly appreciate that. Let's continue our time of worship and celebration. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Singing glory hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. Would you stand together as we sing?
sounded like angels, didn't they? Oh, such a beautiful. Ladies, thank you so much. The 95th Psalm. It is a beautiful song. It has three movements in it. Three sections. Very distinct. And they contrast. The song that we have just heard from our ladies ensemble is a little bit in contrast to the little boy who came with his dad to worship. At night, he knelt down for his nightly prayers. And he said, God, worship this morning was absolutely fantastic. I wish you'd have been there. <laughs> and yet, quite frankly, across our nation, there are people that gather in buildings that come because it's a sense of duty, or well, they've always done it, and they walk away with not a chance. The psalmist wants us to understand that when we come, we come for a purpose. We come for a reason. This psalm has long been used throughout Christian history, church history, as a uh, uh, call to worship. In the Latin church, this psalm is known as Venete, O Come. It's a psalm of, of public exhortation for people to come but to come rightly to worship the living God. Not just to come, but come with the right frame of mind, with the right attitude. Come and worship the living God and give him the praise and the honor and glory that only he deserves. So it begs the question, what is the right way? What is the right way to come? Well, as we look through these movements, we see first, he says, Venete, we come in joy. This psalm, as in the case with many of the shorter psalms, they, they focus their attention upon these movements, striving to get the people of Israel, when they are in their time of worship or when they are reading the Old Testament, to come together and, and to understand each movement and how it relates to them. This first movement, which are verses 1 through 5, focuses upon the psalm of the psalmist exhorting the community to come before God joyfully. Joyfully come and boast in God our great King. This morning, we have some hymns that focus upon joy, on gladness. And focus upon our celebration that God is the great God and King. In, in reading the first words, we find ourselves maybe a bit taken back if you really look at the translation. These raw words in rugged translation sound like this. Oh come, let us give a ringing shout of joy to Yahweh. 
Oh, come, let us give a shout of triumph to the rock of our salvation. The idea of shouting and boastful adoration kind of cuts against the grain for most of us. We see the words, we say the words, there's not a whole lot of times that we're out here shouting, right? Not in, in, in many churches. It might make us feel a little uncomfortable. We'd almost like to kind of back off of these words just a little bit. Because we, we know in our mind, well, shouting, that has something to do with out of the stadium. Or like I used to do when my youngest, I'm sorry, my oldest daughter, I think she was five or six, was playing soccer, and she loved picking flowers on the field more than she loved playing soccer, even though she ran up and down. But I tell you what, there was this one time, and I have it on videotape, that she, for some reason, got this drive in her to go and get that soccer ball and to kick it all the way down the field and to make a goal. I was so excited, I was shouting every direction I possibly could. That those are the mindsets. Many times we think we ought to shout. Why did I shout? I was exuberant about what had just happened. When we come to worship, should we not be exuberant about what God has done for us? We ought to be able to shout somewhere along the line. The psalmist says, shout in affirmation and adoration of God. My great-grandmother was a Baptist, but she was called a Baptist shouter. Anybody ever heard that term before? Ron, have you ever heard that term? No? Scott? Bob? Anybody? Okay, there's about one or two over here. Back in, back in the day, there were, there were shouters in worship. They were people that as, and and my, my great-grandmother was one of those folks that she just got so, she was, it wasn't Pentecostal, she wasn't charismatic, she was just full of the presence of God. And, and it got so much in a time of worship together, and I will say also, through the course of the week, because she invested so much in my dad, she would just shout about how God had done great things. You ever feel like you just keep that press down and you don't want anybody to really know what you feel inside. <laughs> Does he just so overwhelm you at times that all you want to do is just sit there and shout with exuberance? This is what the psalmist is trying to get across. You shouldn't try to deaden that, to, to mute that. What you should do is let God know exactly how you feel and anybody else around you. Not because you want to show. Not because you want to be a show person. But because you just can't control it anymore. When you think about the depths of where we were and the heights of where we are because of Jesus and Jesus alone. And so the psalmist says, Venete, oh come and shout to the Lord. If you look at the verbs in this first verse, they combine together to talk about encouragement and emotion. They merge together. The nature of these verbs suggests that even 
in the psalmist's day, the people of Israel had to be encouraged, admonished to display their enthusiasm for God. I know that many think that being the people of God, the Israelites were always just very obedient to God and, and couldn't wait to get into worship, but that is far from the truth. You go back into their history, you find that it was a constant plea for them to come together and to be obedient and to honor and respect God in a joyful, joyful way. We're instructed as they were instructed, as we see in the, the writing in Hebrews 10, 25, to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We ought to be able to encourage one another with shouts of joy because of what God has done. The verbs in Psalm 95 verse 1, they don't merely call for a random sound. It's not just going crazy in, in some uh, fashion that somebody's just shouting around because they can't contain something. It is a focused process. In fact, verse 2 focuses the enthusiasm of the shout into a meaningful praise. He says, let us come before him with public acknowledgement. Let us shout joyfully to him with melodies. Now, we see the psalmist is saying, you know, you need to shout to the Lord God Almighty, the, the, the rock of our salvation, because of what he's done. And here's how you ought to accomplish that. Here's where the channeling should be. It should be done with melodies. That's why we sing songs and hymns of praise. It allows us to come in and to shout before God, to sing before him. Because he is the God of all. So it begs the question. The psalmist calls for exuberance, involvement, calls for joy and excitement as we adore and we enjoy him. And why is that? Because he is a great God. If you look at verse 3, it says, For Yahweh is a great God and a great king above all gods. Let's think about that for just a moment. There is none like our God. So the reason we would shout in triumph, the reason we would shout concerning the rock of our salvation, the reason we would come before him with a public acknowledgement not just in the closet of our worship, but in a public admonition. We shout joyfully to him in the psalms that we sing. Think about that. Psalm 95.3, it uses this term great. Now, that can be used on a consistent basis to where it kind of loses some of its meaning. The boy sits down, he eats some ice cream, and he says, that's awesome. Well, how is that in comparison to God? If we say God is awesome, are they the same? No, they're not the same. So we come to this particular word where he says God is great. It does not give any kind of suggestion that there is another one who could be even greater. The statement here is that in fact, and in truth, there is none like God. He is the creator of all. He is great, and he's worthy of our exuberance. 
He's worthy of our excited praise. He is worthy of our joyful praise. The scholar Bauman gives a very interesting illustration. He says, biblical worship is celebration. That's not to say that we're to be flippant or careless, nor that we gather in order to exchange emotional highs and get spiritual goosebumps. When I was a child, I was given an occasional restlessness during the church services. I was admonished to sit still, you're in church. And somehow I got the wrong message. My folks never intended it, but I was getting the impression that God was a grouch. <laughs> I wasn't convinced that I could even enjoy him. But I've changed my mind, or better yet, the Bible is changing my mind. The characteristic note of the Old Testament is worship is exhilaration. So let's have more spiritual celebration as the saints in Scripture did. You probably, like me, I was a preacher's kid, had our share of moments. My mom was incredible. I would sit beside her as a, as a little kid four, five, six years old, and I was uh, very restless myself, and she would just be able to sit there and smile and watch my dad preach and hear what he had to say and take her hand and pinch my leg like I was going to be falling <laughs> off. Did any of you get any of that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's possible to get the wrong idea that we've got to come in and we've got to sit straight and we've got to be quiet and solemn because that's how worship is. And it was never intended that way. And our parents never intended to do that. And I am afraid that probably I inflicted some of that upon my own kids. But the reality is that he wants, God wants us Shout for joy. To be exuberant in our focus on worshiping Him. It's to be directed in our songs and spiritual songs. It's to be directed through our encouragement. Rarely do we hear people say amen anymore. It used to be in a lot of that. They might say it in different ways and, and maybe... But you know, as time goes on, we, we seem to lose some of those type of engagement in this worship. But we need to go back to understand that Yahweh is great, and he's the king above all kings. And that is the very focus of why we should not be able to hold it within our chest as we sing, as we shout. We ought to be able to express it, and in a public way, Why is God a great God? Look at verses 4 and 5 as we conclude this first movement. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry ground. It talks about him being the creator. He created everything. And he spoke it into existence out of absolutely nothing. 
That is why we can joyfully come and boast that God is the great King. The second movement is in verses 6 and 7. Venete, we come in reverence. Reverence. It is a completely different mood than what the first five verses lay before us. O come, he says. This is a movement of reverence in contrast to exuberance. Verses 6 and 7, he says, this is our exhortation. Here's what I want you to do. Reverently, we come to adore our maker and sustainer. So we have on the one hand, the shout of celebration, the exuberance of worship, not being able to contain that God is the creator of all and he's given us salvation when we did not deserve it. And at the same time, we come in reverence and we adore creator and the sustainer. You see, it's not only with boasting and shouting, with praising and singing, it's also with reverence and adoration that we come before the Lord. <clears throat> not all of our music when we sing is fortissimo or large. As Chuck Gerard put it years ago, sometimes, hallelujah, sometimes praise the Lord and sometimes gently singing with our hearts in one accord. It all is our step of worship before Almighty God. The words of verse 6 kind of present an image of, of physical posture as it represents a, an inward submission to the wonder of God's being. And so we read that's verse 6, and it says, O come, let us prostrate ourselves. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before Yahweh who has made us. Now those are quite different terms, aren't they? Very much a contrast from the first five verses. And it gives the imagery of submission. To lay prostrate is to lay completely flat before God with an understanding and humility that I, I can't even stand before Almighty God. With this idea of bowing down, of, of kneeling down, it is this idea of humility when we come and worship, that we are coming to worship the great God. For some, the call for kneeling before the Lord is presented in, in verse 6, may seem like a ritual. Well, that's what, what the high church is. That's what churches who are ritualistic do. But do understand that sometimes our rituals may be a, a means of genuine feeling of dedication before God. That we do things not out of memory, but yet when we follow some rituals, it is because this is how we express before God that you are God. And I understand I am the creation. And in this time of worship, I want no one to ever see that I would equate myself to you. So I come and I shout for joy and I praise you because of who you are. And in humility, 
I lay myself completely before you. The psalm calls for an action that describes the reality of obedient adoration for the Almighty God. We know that there's going to come a day when every single man, woman, and child is going to kneel before God. And they are going to confess that Jesus is Lord. We get that out of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 10. So if we know that, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and in heaven, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, why is it that we come today in our lives with an unwillingness to go ahead and kneel down and confess him before all men and in our time of worship today? If we're going to do it then, why would we be hesitant to bow down before him now? There's this idea that I'm not going to shout for joy in worship because I'm afraid of what people around me might look at me like, what they might think. And I'm not going to come and I'm not going to bow down because maybe it's just my pride. I'm, I'm not going to do that in a public sitting because what would people think? But more importantly is what is it that God thinks? We're able to do that because as the scripture says in verse 7, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, even the flock of his hand. The words express the relationship that we have with the God of glory, the one who's given us grace. And if he's the one given us grace, I should take no pride in what I have because I didn't So in humility, I shot for joy, and I humbly bow my head. For those of us who have come to the Father through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we should not ever be at a place in our life that we're too hard-necked, stiff-necked, prideful, say, God, I love you. And I don't care who knows. If I'm willing to do that with my wife that I love dearly and say it in public, why wouldn't I be willing to do that with Almighty God who is the absolute number one priority in my life? That should be true for all of us. So how can we not respond to the reverent adoration of bowing our heads or kneeling down to our knees or prostrating ourselves before Almighty God. You see, reverently we come before Him and adore Him as a display of our acknowledgement that He is the maker and the sustainer of life. He made everything. He is the king of the universe. We are nothing except that he loves us unconditionally. And he holds us in his hand as a shepherd 
might cuddle that lamb. As we read the words, we find that our joy is balanced with our adoration. This mood takes us through our times of prayer as well as our times of music, of contrition and submission. You see, we come to celebrate with joy. We also come to celebrate God with reverence. And so he tells us in the 95th Psalm, listen, God is great and the creator of all. And so come, come and shout for joy. And come in humility and kneel down and let him know and let everyone else know that he is your God. In the third movement, verses 8 through 11, we come, as he says, venite, we come in faith. It starts actually with the last sentence of verse 7. He says, today, if you will obey his voice, that is a very important <laughs> statement. And it is a transition in what the psalmist is saying. These words, they talk about God's word, the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. The psalmist wants us to understand today, if you obey his voice. His voice is what is written before you, the scriptures. His voice is what he speaks to you by the power of the Spirit. He says, today, if you obey his voice, there's that word, if. It means there's more to come. If you do this, then I will do this. If you do not do what's about to happen. If you don't obey his voice, then here are the consequences. And so we come to an intersection. God has, in essence, burst into this song. He's inserted himself now. Today, if you hear his voice, in other words, as you worship him, God is going to speak to you. And if you hear what he is saying through the, pre uh, the preached word or the Bible study that is taught, if you hear his voice, you will be edified. <coughs> but he says, and he's basing it, verses 8 through 11, off of the experience of the Israelites. He says, if you don't, here's what's going to happen. If you obey his word, man, there are great things going to happen. But if you don't, and he reflects back, the terrible condemnation by God about the wilderness community of Israel, which in rebellion did not obey the words of the Lord. Now granted, there were times in the wilderness community that they did come before God with joy. And there were times in the wilderness community that they came and reverently adored God. But there were other times, terrible times, when they did not obey the Lord. And that led to a somber mood in their lives, but also to the closing of this song. Some would say it's almost a downer. 
it was all based upon the actions of the Israelites. And in turn, our own actions. You see, it's a call for obedience to the Word of God. It is, it is as it is communicated to you. We're commanded as a worshiping community today not to allow our hearts to be hardened. That was done by the wilderness community. You see, they hardened their heart and they found themselves literally cut off from the great blessings that God desired to give them. Here, they were taken out of the land of Egypt where they were slaves and, and they were going to the promised land. There should have been joy and excitement, but it seems along the way there was always grumbling and griping about something because they didn't get what they expected to get, what they expected to get, not what God was going to give them. And so it's sad. It's sad because they continued to disobey the worldly, finally they were cut off from what God had anticipated giving that generation. If you look at verses 8 through 11, it says, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test. They tried me, even though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who err in their hearts. And they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. That is a chilling warning that the psalmist gives to the people of Israel as he's writing this three-movement psalm. It's a reminder of what has happened in the past to try to prevent these people that he's writing to that he's leading in worship to understand, listen, don't do what your ancestors did. Do not harden your hearts because here's the outcome. And by the same token, it echoes to each and every one of us. Listen, don't do as your ancestors did. Focus upon worshiping God and do not harden your hearts. Obey him. Be faithful to him or these are the consequences. Meribah has translated the place of contention, Massa the place of testing. In Exodus chapter 17, we read the account of the people of Israel being in great need of water. And so they challenged God in the midst of their thirst, and they condemned his ways. They didn't obey God nor believe him, and so God brought water from the rock to the agency of Moses. This was an occasion, actually, for judgment. In Numbers chapter 20, we read much the same story. I won't take time this morning to delve into, is this one event that's looked at from two different perspectives, or are these two separate events, and there are other avenues of interpretation. But just let me, let me tell you that this is like the same song, the second verse. On this occasion in Numbers 20, Moses also is caught in unbelief and disobedience. So not only the people of Israel, but the leader himself. And 
Even Moses experiences God's judgment. He came back and he said, for 40 years, I have been, this is God speaking, disgusted with this generation. Oh, <laughs> I would want to be in that number, would you? Honestly, I don't really want anybody to be disgusted with me. <laughs> but I certainly don't want God to be disgusted with me. But maybe he is. Maybe, maybe what we're seeing in our culture today, maybe he is. Verse 11 of Psalm 95, he says, Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall never enter into my rest. We see it describes a covenant of anger that contrasts completely from most every other instance which talks about the covenants of blessing in the Old Testament. God says, listen, Time after time, I will bless you. I will bless you. Here's my covenant. I promise to do this if you will obey me. Here, his anger burned for 40 years. They disgusted him. And he comes and he says, Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. You can only imagine how heartbroken. experience in the wilderness community in Exodus chapter 17 and Numbers chapter 20 I think probably serve as a solemn frame for what happened in Numbers 14 because in Numbers 14 when the spies of the land came back and they said boy it is a land flowing with milk and honey this is tremendous but 10 of the 12 said, we can't win this battle. And the people sided with the majority. And they chose not to enter the land that God had promised them and promised to be with them go back up and you say they tried me even though they had seen my work and so there the people rejected God's word they rebelled against his promise and they refused to follow his bidding his directive and so an entire generation was condemned to wander the desert lands away from the resting place that God had promised them. And listen, listen, it is possible for us to do the same thing. It seems like it's not a big deal that we say, oh, that challenge is too much. Oh, I think God wants us to do this, but I just don't have the time or the energy or uh, the skills or the abilities. I mean, the lists of excuses go on and on. 
of why we don't strive to accomplish maybe some things that God said, this is what I want you to do. When the people chose not to go into the land of flowing with milk and honey, they did it because they were afraid. And they didn't trust God, who's the great God and the king of the universe. And we have to look deep within ourselves before we say, nope, we can't do that. Because it might say a lot about our trust in the God who is great and the king of the universe. If his word tells us to move forward, we must. If it tells us how to live, we must be obedient. We can't use an excuse. You go back to the, wor the words of verse 9. It says, when your fathers put me to the test, they tried me even though they had seen my work. Have you seen the work of God in your lives? Have you seen God throughout your, your life just work in you? Not only through your personal salvation, but how about, how about just in the events of your life? Things that have happened, miracles that have taken place. God's touching hand, his, his miraculous intervention. We hold those things dear and close. But we can't leave them back at a time in the past. We must carry them forward. We've seen what God has done. And so, when we're told to be obedient, let's not look at, oh, I can't do that. Let's look and say, oh, God has told me to do this, and I see that God has done this for me in the past. He will always strengthen me and encourage me through these difficult times or to accomplish the task he has called me to. In our own lives today, we have an opportunity to hear the Word of God taught through your Bible study classes, preached this morning even. It's our worship. In our own lives today, we have the possibility to err just like the Israelites did by rejecting His Word, by rebelling against His promise, by refusing to be obedient to Him. That's where we are today. And we continue on, we, like they, the Israelites, we have the potential of not enjoying and rejoicing in the God of our salvation. And therefore, because life seems to get us down, we don't celebrate. We don't sing for joy. We don't shout in triumph. possible that we run the risk of not enjoying the benefits that God has for us, the blessings he has for us because we fail to move forward to trust him in what he has for us. And it's all our decision. It is possible that like the Israelites of old that we might have doubts even though we've seen the work of God. He did it for me then, but I'm not sure he's going to do it for me this time. And yet, his word is clear that he is going to take care of us. It's not merely enough to shout words of praise. It's not enough to just kneel down before God in adoration. These moods of worship 
have got to be joined together with this understanding of faithful obedience to his word. Living it out. So it's not just a Sunday morning where we come and we sing and we have joyful times. It is a matter of listening to the teaching and the preaching of his word, the reading of his word, the study of his word, and applying it to our life. That's where joy comes in. That's where adoration comes in. That's where faithfulness comes in. And so it takes us to the last part. Venite, and so let us come. When we worship God, let us come together to celebrate. We do it joyfully. We do it reverently. We do it faithfully. And if we do that, what Jesus said will take place. That we worship together spiritually, in spirit and truth. And isn't that what we want? we want? We want to come together. First and foremost, when we come together to worship, we want God to know through our actions that we know that he is the creator God, that he is the maker of all things, that there is no one that touches him. Satan doesn't come anywhere near Almighty God. And neither does any obstacle come that we might face that is anywhere near God's ability to eliminate it or to see it through it. We come and celebrate, but we come in humility with our knees and bowing down. And we come faithfully to say, God, I'm going to follow your word. I'm going to live it out. I'm going to make it part of my life, the ever fiber that I have. And God, today, today, I make that decision. Today, I promise, I make a vow before you. I want to rededicate my life to say, God, when I come and worship in a public setting or when I'm in my private worship time, I'm going to do it joyfully, reverently, and faithfully. And I'm going to live that out every single day. In our invitation, I would encourage you, you and God, just to pray. Pray to him, and you make that commitment to him where you're seated. When we sing our invitation to him, I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, to come and give your life to him. This may be a great day for you to come and say, that's the church I want to be a part of, and their ministry, we encourage you to come. If you want to come to the prayer altar here, come and pray, or pray in the front pew. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you about, please don't leave without making it right and making it firm in this time dear god we acknowledge that you are the creator the maker of all things god the heavens declare your glory the mountain peaks you have and even every piece of dirt on this earth you hold in your hand there is no god anywhere like you and today we shout for joy we reverently bow down in humility, and God, today we hear your voice. We hear your voice, and Father, we want to respond obediently. And whatever that means for each and every one of us today, I pray we will make that decision. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our invitation hymn.
be seated for just a moment. As you get ready to leave today, a few things that uh, I'm going to address, and I know Nancy has a few things. Um, last week, we made available the 2022 proposed budget that uh, the Finance Committee and really all of our committee uh, chairpersons and their teams have put together uh, for this next year. Um, the finance team and the personnel team, they're going to be in room 112, uh, which is just right out beyond that wall. And uh, they're there to just in small groups answer any questions that you might have, explain anything that you would like in a small group setting, just so you might have some, some good information. Um, and in a small group area, be able to ask anything that you, you would like to. Uh, we will be uh, discussing and voting on that budget this coming Wednesday night at 4 o'clock during our church conference. We have a quarterly church conference and uh, there are packets when you leave today. There are packets of everything that's going to be uh, spoken about or discussed at that uh, church conference. Um, so we'd like for you to pick those up. If you'd like to talk with the finance uh, and the uh, personnel team, we'd encourage you to just meet with them in room 112. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, we do want you here on Wednesday. We like to have full uh, everybody involved and engaged in uh, what we do in our ministry. The budget is a reflection of the ministry that we strive to accomplish, so we want you to be engaged in that. So, uh, Nancy, I'll let you do the rest. There are also some packets of quarterly reports from some of our committees and ministries available. Those are in white. You will see the packets clipped together and the top agenda pages in brown, so hopefully you will take one of those. Thursday is movie day. Woodlawn is the name of the movie. And they are, if you are coming to lunch at 12.30, we need to have your name before the end of the day tomorrow. There are sign-up sheets in both Breezeway and Main Lobby if you are coming to lunch. If you are coming to the movie at 1, just come and enjoy. We'll look forward to having you. Men's breakfast, you need to sign up either today or next Sunday, men, for the men's breakfast, which will be on Tuesday morning, November 2nd. Also, out in the Breezeway, if you would like to purchase tickets for the Thanksgiving Missions Awareness Banquet, 
which will be on Wednesday evening, November 17th. You may do that starting today. You will have three other weeks of opportunity to purchase those tickets. Those are $15 each. Next Sunday night, October 31st, at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary, our choir will be joining with the choirs from First Baptist Sun City and from Grand Community Baptist Enterprise for a wonderful night of music. We are going to be singing some numbers, individual choirs, and then we will do a couple of numbers and combined choirs. So I hope that we will have people out there for us to sing to. And after we are finished, we will go into the CLC for cupcakes and punch. We have a pattern going here. Do you see it? <laughs> Next Sunday, Pastor's Appreciation Day will be observed. And if you do not have opportunity to bring a card and you would like to, there's a basket on either side in the back, and that will be presented next Sunday. You've also seen last Sunday and today Christmas boxes, shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child in both lobbies. Those are available for you to pick up again today, and we are going to see a very brief video about that ministry, after which Bill A. Freeman will come and lead us in our closing prayer.
last <clears throat> last night. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we praise your holy name. You've blessed us with this great service. You've blessed us without measure. We're so thankful for your word that was proclaimed this day. Show us your will and lead us through it. May our deeds, prayers, and thoughts be pleasing to you, dear Father. Give us safe travel as we leave this day. We need you every hour. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. 